You're listening to People in Profit, a podcast that focuses on elevating humanity through business, sponsored by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. And now, let's hear from our hosts, Jeremy and Sarah. Thank you for joining us today for the People in Profit, Elevating Humanity Through Business podcast. Good business is the answer to many of the global issues that humankind is facing, and that is what we dive into on this show. We are working to change the capitalism narrative by shining a bright light on the stories of good business and encouraging companies to follow in the path of others who are having great success, taking care of both their bottom lines and the people they serve. Now, on today's show, we have a different co-host filling in for Jeremy. We also we we have Kinder Maples, who is the VP of volunteers for the CCAZ leadership team. Welcome, Kendra. Hello. I'm looking, sounding a little different than Jeremy for <laughs> for the day. I'll pop in for him. Um, I'm excited to be here, but more importantly, I'm excited to introduce our guest for today. On the show today, we have Heidi Jenanga. Heidi is the co-founder and the chief clinical officer of WebPT, an eight-time Inc. 5000 honoree, and the leading software solution for physical, occupational, and speech therapists. Along with the amazing work that Heidi is doing and growing WebPT, she's actually on the board for Conscious Capitalism Arizona for our chapter as well. So Heidi, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm excited. Always easy to talk about things you're passionate about. Right. Very true. And now it's just kind of a, a ladies' chat today, right? <laughs> That's right. Kind of like kind of like a coffee chat, right? Even though we can't sit together and have coffee, we can do this, which is good. So I kind of started and gave just the the brief snippet, of course, of WebPT. But can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, you guys are doing so much. There's so much involved right now. Tell us a little bit about WebPT, how it got started, and how it's how it's going right now. Well, we are a 12-year-old company. Um, if you count us from when we launched the company in 2008, there were a couple of years prior to that of development, but we launched the company in February of 2008. I am a physical therapist. Um, I was having uh, leading three large physical therapy practices here in Arizona, and one of our largest expenses was transcription and dictation. And so with bottom line responsibilities, I was trying to find an alternative um, that we could um, have for that. Many of our referring physicians had started transitioning into using some sort of digital platform. So I thought, well, there has to be something out there for physical therapists too. Um, We did a little bit of research and everything that we found was uh, clunky, was all server-based, which is hard to believe in this day and age where we are today, 10 years later. And, and frankly, something nothing that I could really afford for my business. And so I put my head together with a software engineer and we developed something that originally was supposed to be for my practices and, and to solve my problem. And um, we developed it. I started getting really great positive feedback from the therapist um, that I was working with. Um, and Within the next six months or so, um, you know, some of my colleagues around the area started asking and saying, hey, what are you doing over there? We'd love to save some money, too. And so before we knew it, we had 12 other practices up and running. And at that point, we scratched our heads and said, oh, my gosh, um, let's do a little bit of market research. And we did that. We found that 80 percent of physical therapists were also documenting on pen and paper and spending a lot of money on transcription and dictation. And so that the problem that I was having was somewhat ubiquitous throughout the entire profession. And so 
we did launch a company in February of 2008 um, with three people in the back of a coffee shop. And if you fast forward to where we are today in 20, now 2021, we, you mentioned we were on the Inc. 5000 for eight years in a row. We are a $100 million company. We have a little over 40% market share, 650 amazing Wepiteers all across the U.S. who are part of our organization to accomplish our mission of uh, empowering therapists to achieve greatness in practice. So I, I love the 650 web PTers. You know, I it just whenever you you know you get the the descriptions of the you know people that are all working together to you know to do something that I'm like I want to be a web PTer too. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think about for me and uh, when I when I first was exposed to conscious capitalism in through the Arizona chapter and one of the the first experiences that I had was a field trip to a web PT office. So anyone who's been around conscious capitalism within Arizona definitely knows, you know, Heidi and knows web PT. And that, that tour was definitely, you know, one of, one of the ways that I helped, that helped me understand conscious capitalism, looking at the way the offices were set up and the, the disc posters that, you know, that were, that were all up over the place, uh, having an introduction by your, your culture captain. So uh, I, I say all of this because clearly uh, conscious capitalism or the way of or, or doing good business without even the, the label of conscious capitalism has been in it, uh, has been part of your strategy, you know, from day one, you know, from the three people in the coffee shop. So maybe just take us, you know, back to the coffee shop and and think about how uh, and give us a little bit more about how conscious capitalism or doing good business uh, has been apart from the three people in the coffee shop to the 650 web PTers that are, you know, part of the team now. Well, for a long time, um, and up until about, actually it was in 2014, I would say that we were what is now called unconscious conscious capitalists yeah. because there wasn't really a thing like we didn't know that this was uh, a way of doing business. It was just the right thing to do. It was based on our own sort of values as people, as founders. And as we continue and and as we, uh, as co-founders, one of the things that we committed to when we started the company was we both came from backgrounds of corporate organizations Loved what we had done, had, had, you know, risen to leadership roles. And, but, but there was a lot of sort of, uh, things that we didn't like about that, that sort of bit way of doing business. And so what we committed to was pulling all the things that we liked and loved and had passion for and, and sort of aligned with our own core values into our own business. I got exposed to conscious capitalism. One of the awesome things about winning Inc. 5000 or being on that list is that you get invited to an amazing conference every year in which um, you get to learn from, you know, awesome uh, leaders and, and other entrepreneurs. I went to uh, a featured presentation with the founder of uh, Whole Foods and um, the founder of the container store, Kip Tindall. And so, in the conversation, I was very intensely listening and taking some copious notes on, you know, how they had transcended because we were in the middle of this high growth phase, 
transcended their culture into being able to um, scale that as their business grew. And they introduced the concept of conscious capitalism with the four pillars. And as I started writing down pillar number one, you know, having a, a higher purpose to your business, I was like, okay, yeah, we did, we've, we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the stakeholder uh, mentality where you've got, you make everyone sort of a part of your business. You create a community around what you've done. I was like, wow, we've done that too. We call our customers members on purpose um, because we wanted them to feel like they're a part of the WebPT community. As you heard, we sort of, we call our, our employees WebPTers because they're part of our, our uh, they are stakeholders within our business. Um, and so I just put my pencil down at that point and it was just started listening. And, you know, it goes on, we, we went on to talk, he went on to talk about conscious leadership and how that's such a critical, important, critically important as you bring in new leaders into an organization and having that as part of your vetting process. And then of course, you know, the, the conscious, the conscious culture uh, and what that truly means to the business. And so it was like a light bulb goes off and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is totally how we have started and are continuing to run our business. And it, it gave me this framework in this with the four components and the pillars to really now be able to translate that not only to within our team, uh, within our teams, but also, you know, as an entrepreneur who loves to pay it forward to others, like how we were able to accomplish our success. And now I have that framework to, to have that discussion, to make that discussion easier now. So it, it kind of sounds like, you know, the, like with many things, the timing was right. Although I think it's more about awareness and what you're open to than actual timing. But you, you know, you were in a, a high growth phase. And so probably, you know, often a time where people are, you know, you, you brought your values and you brought humanity into the into the business. And when you get into those high growth phases, sometimes that can be where you feel some pressure to say, okay, maybe I can't be as human and I can't consider everybody all the time. And yet now you attend this conference and you hear it from people who have been through the high growth and are further along, you know, within, you know, the growth of their company than you were. And they, in some ways say, what you were doing was kind of the answer to get you through your high growth phase. Well, yes and no. I think that as we searched out to find answers, because we knew we wanted to do it, it was really about the how, because we were met with resistance. We, we were met with resistance and people said, well, once you reach a certain size of a company, it's no longer possible. We, we heard that a lot. And so what really attracted me to the concept of conscious capitalism is that that whole mantra can be shoved to the side and you've got these amazing companies that are proven. Um, and then you have now, you know, the, the, the book firms of endearment that put an exclamation point on that to say, Hey, here's the data. Here's the comparison of these amazing companies against, you know, the good to great companies, which we've all kind of put a lot of stock into of how to, how to be successful and it was proven that culture matters in how you do business. Profit can be made if you think about a business uh, being good business. And so um, it, it, it really was that epiphany point of here's the how to do what you want to do in a way that's going to benefit everyone 
from your shareholders to all of your stakeholders in in a great framework that is that can be easily worked from. So what did that kind of look like? Because you you already have, you know, you, like you said, you put your pen down and you listened because you're like, hey, we're already doing all of this. But then you've got some folks that are giving a little pushback, but it really does all tie into a bottom line, right? That as far as the the cost for if you're investing in a good culture at the end, it's going to lower the dollar amount for recruitment. It's going to lower the dollar amount for retention and all of that. So how does all of that kind of tie in? Were you kind of in the middle going, no, really, we're already doing these things and having to kind of prove the data and show that? Like, was there a shift in anything when now you have this this name of conscious capitalism that's there? Well, like I said, it provided the framework. And, and although we 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 didn't have to necessarily use the conscious capitalism name. It was really more around the framework and the, and the pillars to put better definitions Mm -hmm. um, around our own sort of future goals, um, our budgeting process, weaving in our core values and what that truly meant to us as a business. And we, we had established core values. We had established our, our, our BHAG and our, our mission statement of, you know, our North star of what we were trying to accomplish, but it was really putting this into a, a way of doing business so that it was going to be scalable. You know, we in 2014 were on the cusp of doing our first series, big series a of investment. And so having that framework to say, we are going to, because we didn't need money, but we we wanted to take our company to the next level. And so we were looking at venture capital funding that we wanted to make sure that whoever we chose as a funding partner was going to also align with our way of doing business, that they were going to be supportive of us putting this people first mentality in place. That was a criteria that we went out and 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 looked for in, um, you know, that funding partner. That has stayed true. Now we have had a lot of success and it's been really important, but I'll, I'll just give you a very good example. We've also in 2019 uh, did a private equity round of funding, brand new to the partnership end of 2019. We're up and running with our plans and goals for 2020. Of course, COVID hits. And as you can imagine, having a brand new private equity company, um, you, you're, crossing your fingers that everything you vetted up against, and we went through the same process, I should say, of this, we talk about conscious capitalism now, you know, frequently and use that term. And um, that was part of our vetting process as we went through choosing our private equity partner as well. But when push comes to shove, as you mentioned, um, that's when your true colors uh, shine. And so, you know, we were crossing our fingers that we had done all of the right diligence and that they were going to stay true to their word. Um, and they were. Warburg Pincus has been an amazing private equity partner. Um, we went through the process of not having to do any layoffs or any furloughs. We put our people first, which was in line with our business and, and what we needed for the business. But we scaled back in other ways that really empowered our people to continue um, pushing towards our mission. And we had to support our, our members, our customers. Um, and that's what we did. And so, and they, fully supported us uh, throughout the, and continue to support us now by making those right decisions. But, but that's, a, that's an example of how it has to be intentional 
-hmm. It has to be woven into the fabric of who you are as a leader, but also your business. It's not just about you as a leader. It has to be woven into every aspect of, of your business and have everyone with their hands into that circle together to say, we are committed to, to doing this. So I'm just curious with the COVID uh, and the need to, you know, make, you know, changes was the private equity partner, were they supportive partners in the background or were they actually able to more like step in and help you problem solve? Oh, they, they're helping problem solve. They, um, they're in the background if they want them in the background, but they, but they're there to serve. So similar, similarly, you know, they only are, they're only winning if we're, if we're successful. And so they were all in on anything we needed. We actually had, um, one of the top epidemiologists in the country doing phone calls with our portfolio companies to give us the most updated information. Because as you know, I mean, there was so much out there of who knows, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And you have one of the top people in the country, Dr. Mac McCarthy out of, out of New York, who was giving us briefings um, that we could log in and, and have a Zoom call and ask questions, most importantly. Um, and so we felt like, um, you know, we were getting great information to make true decisions on for as a business. And so things like that, that you wouldn't have access to normally that they were able to provide uh, because of their connections and their expertise and, and experience. Well, and it seemed like it would have been really important. I mean, I think in times like COVID pandemics, you know, lots of uncertainty and unknowns and change purpose and, and mission can become, you know, that, underlying strength. Uh, and so it's definitely important that all of your partners and, you know, key stakeholders are, are in there. But with you, you know, your business being in the medical field and, and there being a whole lot of questions on being able to continue to serve patients who need, you know, physical therapy, you know, even if they're, you know, within a pandemic would be even more important. And that can be something to, you know, both rally around if, you know, when you, when you've done the work ahead of time, you've made the connections, you've got everybody on board there and, and it becomes, you know, like the rallying cry we're, we're, you know, we're in this for our mission and we've got to figure out how to continue to, to meet that. Or without that, that's where things, you know, the cracks start to, you know, start to form and, and things start to follow, fall through. So, I mean, it sounds like your partners, the venture partners were, I mean, this is a good example. They really were aligned with the purpose and ready to get behind it. And 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 obviously, their like you say, their success is tied up in yours. And they've invested, and and you continuing and being successful is important for them and and their their investment and their money. But you can protect yourself and pull your money out, or you can double down and serve the purpose. And it it sounds like you know again. Or the third option, which a lot of times is frightening from the aspect of private equity, they can come in and say, we know best, we're going to run your business, which is, you know, again, something we vetted that they're, they're not operators. They truly are funding partners and partner being a key word. 
Um, and so again, and we, we, we could talk a lot about how to go about finding the right, uh, the right funding partner. Cause it is such a, there's a lot of money flowing right now. And it's really important for businesses to, to take the time to not think about just the biggest check writer. Um, but really, you know, this is a partner in your business. Um, and you know, when push comes to shove in difficult times, that's when you see true colors shine and, like I said, we we are very fortunate and, and feel very supported um, right now as as we continue through you know the next five to seven years uh, with this partner. But I will say you 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 um, you bring up a great point because um, you know being on the front lines in the medical field, there is a lot of ups and downs. I mean, you, people are looking to uh, our industry as as leaders. But, you know, we all, even though we were essential businesses, a lot of our clinics, a lot of our customer clinics had to close. Um, there wasn't enough PPE initially. I mean, this is a whole new thing for everyone, right? It's like, well, well, how do we, how do we make sure that, you know, we are providing a safe environment for our own, um, employees at the same time as, you know, allowing patients through the door, um, and providing them. So we, um, <clears throat> knowing that this was difficult and seeing our, our visit volumes plummeting, um, we spun up quickly, which was on our roadmap, but we just accelerated it, um, was to find a way to provide virtual visits for our our clinics. Mm. It wasn't something that was uh, on our roadmap in the near term because most states did not allow physical therapists or rehab therapists, PTOT or speech to do online uh, visits and get paid for it. And so while there were some that were doing cash-based services, this wasn't going to be something that everyone could provide. And so we quickly spun that up and uh, was a great help to a lot of clinics who needed to continue to get revenue, could, could immediately get in touch with their patients and say, hey, listen, we can continue through this virtual until we get our clinic back and up and open in a safe environment for you to return. Um, so again, meeting the needs of, of our members to accomplish our mission. Uh, was critical during this period of time. And they looked to us for that leadership. So I can't help but (laughs) ask, but uh, so how did that, how did that work? Virtual, virtual PT visits. I mean, are you seeing that that is, you know, there's some real, you know, efficacy there and some, some, you know, future to, to grow that more. Yeah. And can I add on to her question too? You said that you spun it together pretty fast. What what did that look like as far as a time frame during all of this craziness? Yeah, we were able to get it up and running in about six weeks time, um, which was really essentially providing an a, a interface like this mm-hmm. to um, be able to have because they have there's certain documentation requirements if you're going to be doing it and coding that was required to be able to do a virtual visit. And so we we did a webinar on educating on education to to make sure they're using the right codes and what does dif- this definition of a vir- virtual visit versus a, a different sort of check in type of whether you can use it by do it by phone or does it have to be by Zoom and there was a lot of you know nebulous sort of things because this was all brand new to us as as therapists and so we did uh, we brought in an expert we did um, a. a webinar, which I don't know, we had close to 10,000 people on. Um, and so before we launched and had this constant kind of stream of education and then allowed them to do it. And 
to how how did it it um, it was beneficial to make sure that you are getting progression on your exercises. It's actually interesting to see people at home and how they're functionally being able to get around if they're on crutches or in a sling or, you know, having back pain and how they transition from sit to stand and, you know, all those PT things. It's, it's actually like a home visit, right, where you get to get you go and physically see them uh, in their own space, which is unique sometimes to an outpatient facility, which is uh, the majority of our, our members. And so for the future, they have extended through this emergency that it's as long as this, um, this period is, is deemed um, emergency medical necessity, we are allowed to continue the virtual visits. But what we've seen from our data is, you know, there was this huge spike in visits from doing virtually because there was really no other option. And then as clinics got PPE and they were able to um, start opening back up in a safe manner, those visit numbers started to drop. And so what you're seeing right now is a somewhat of a hybrid model in which there are some sort of visits that are, that are conducive to the virtual environment in which I can follow up on your home exercise program. I can watch you do them and make sure I can progress you on those exercises where I can give you verbal cues. But so much of what we do as therapists is hands-on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's definitely um, going to be difficult to, to obviously do everything virtual, but we do see a future of, of some of this uh, virtual check-ins where you can see, a, a, you know, check-in on a larger volume of, of patients via Zoom or a, a virtual environment. Um, but there's still always going to be this need for uh, a brick-and-mortar actual physical contact being done with a, with a therapist. But at least like you you said, in the, in the meantime, you can step in within six weeks, you were able to, you know, put this together, allow them the opportunity, even just to do those check-ins. I mean, we were talking right before we went on air about kids in school and virtual. It's just, it's phenomenal to me how companies have been able to develop and change and alter and and still continue to support their people, their stakeholders, you know, everybody is still a, a priority to you. All of those people are still a priority, your members and and your staff, how you weren't forlowing anyone. Like that to me really shows through all of this craziness that you guys have still been able to focus on what is important to you. Well, and we've been able to be very successful through this period too. Mm-hmm. Um, although we didn't necessarily meet all of our profit goals, we did meet our revenue goal for 2020, which is pretty freaking outstanding <laughs> considering everything that happened. Yeah. Um, and I will just say we have just an amazing team. Uh, our sales team right out of the gate uh, within the first couple of weeks as we saw numbers starting to crash and um, you know, had had the wherewithal to pull together and say, okay, like, how are we going to continue to support and drive our goals at the same time as being um, this trusted source where we don't look like we're coming in when you're kicked and down that, you know, we're going to come try to sell something to you. Mm-hmm. And the way that we kind of were able to do that, mainly because we already are a very trusted resource to them. That's part of our culture and the brand that we've established. We came in um, and said, you know, while you can't work on your business, or yeah, while you can't work in your business, why not work on your business? 
And so there's always this checklist of things that physical therapists and, and owners have that they're like, oh, I just, I'm so busy with my patient care that I, I really can't get to those things where you're improving the efficiency of your business, for example, or, you know, um, changing your scheduling model to, uh, you know, allow for, you know, different types of patients to come in with different therapists or whatever it is. We can be here to help you. So was, we, we kind of went deeper into, we already have a consultative style in our, in our sales process. We even went deeper into that and really help them to understand like, hey, this might be the time to add on this service. Um, we know business is going to be coming back, but you will be ready and more efficient with your time and, and uh, leadership within your practice when you come out of it. And so um, it was remarkable to see uh, how that sort of caught on and people and, and clinic owners are like, yes, um, we've done our work. We know that we have three to six months in reserve. So we, and we know, you know, it, we've done our budgeting and we we're, we're good to go. And so I thought that was just brilliant um, in terms of, you know, understanding your customer, which I think is also super key, having those relationships and really understanding uh, what is driving them and, and what are their needs of their business. And we were there to fulfill it. My gosh, I, I love that. You got me all, you know, ex- even more excited because, you know, it's like you said, when you understand your customers, you're focused on the purpose and, and you're empowering this this whole industry of people. And and yes, of course, you know, you're focused on your business and what are your goals. But it was like, what do our customers need? And so now how do we shift the focus to you know, serve a, that they to serve them in a new and different way because right now they have a different need, uh, and that becomes you know those win-win type of relationships or those you know those stakeholder focused, stakeholder oriented you know business models where we we all win. We say, okay, when I when I figure out how to best serve my customer, then I'm also doing what's right for my own company and my own, you know, profitability and revenue goals. So that's, that's that's so cool. I love it. Well, and the same thing can be said for internal, right? Because we think our, Mm -hmm. as our employees, they're, they're customers to our business as well, right? And we need to be serving them at the highest level. When COVID hits, we were, well, prior to COVID, we were very much an in-person culture. Mm-hmm. We have a big HQ with over 300 people, 15,000 square feet in downtown Phoenix. Um, we have hubs all over the country. Um, and the expectation is that you go to the office to work. Now, we did have some, you know, work from home folks, but and we had been struggling with sort of as we were continuing to grow of how do we sort of blend this culture of those that are working from home and and those that are not. Well, this forced us mm-hmm. into uh everyone being working from home. Uh, We immediately said, shutting down everything for the protection of you. And we just, you know, again, with these resources saying, this is only going to get worse before it gets better. We're sending everyone home. And we immediately said, you're at least working from home until June. Very quickly, we said, we're going to the end of the year. In, I think, September, we said, we're pushing this out to June of 2021. We're not coming back until June of 2021. And so, wow, I mean, you go from a, I'm, I have an office space, I have my own desk space, to now you've got to go home. 
And, you know, many of our employees had never worked from home before. And so our IT team and our facilities team had to rally. We had to get everyone, you know, computer setups for home. If they didn't have a laptop, they had to get a laptop. Um, We had to make sure everyone had, you know, adequate internet service. I mean, you just go down the checklist of all the things, you know, we now say, oh, yeah, this is fine. Um, We rolled out Slack for the team, for everyone. So we would have this uh, communication platform in which everyone could communicate from because, you know, we were using, um, you know, chat functions, but, you know, there's no archiving for that. So we we rolled out uh, Slack. You know, our culture, again, it kind of got uprooted a little bit. And mm-hmm. and I say, I shouldn't say that it's not our culture that got uprooted, but it was part of our work environment culture that was uprooted. And so we had to quickly try to figure out, you know, how do we maintain this cohesiveness to everyone and, and connectedness while we're not physically together? Mm-hmm. Um, so much so of the culture is your environment, right? And so you, so your culture oh, yeah. was strong and thriving in this environment, the place that I briefly described, you know, that, you know, whether I, when I had walked through the office. And so now once, you know, you, you take that away and everyone's in a completely different environment and especially with a lot of other craziness going on around them, for sure. It's a challenge and a, a, a definitely a challenge to the culture and I suppose proof that the culture is bigger than the environment, right? That's right. That's what yeah. I was going to say. The values um, are the foundation. Your work environment is just another additive to that. But uh, what we have found, and it's again, you know, as a as a founder, you just you never know how strong. I mean, you believe, right? Um, but this has just been another test that I feel like um, we have really passed with flying colors. And don't get me wrong, we're still working on it as the time continues and we transition into what the future of our business looks like, which we actually are, are soon to be committing um, to a more digital first uh, environment just because of the, this, the, our knowledge of what's transpired over the last year um, or maybe even a little over a year of our ability to attract better and stronger talent. If we're not confined to certain area geographical areas, um, the way in which, uh, and listening to our employees as we've put out surveys to check in with them over these last few quarters of how are you doing? And overwhelmingly people are saying, listen, I'm, I'd rather work from home. And so, and, but then also accommodating those that are, that, you know, are have difficulties or, um, you know, making sure there's equity among uh, everyone uh, with their environments in which they uh, have an opportunity to work in. So um, these are things we're continuing to work on. But uh, going back to how do you sort of maintain that culture consciously? It's listening. Mm-hmm. It's providing opportunities for feedback um, and continuing to be transparent with your communication to everyone and, and really making sure that inclusivity um, is paramount. Well, and as you guys are moving forward, right, a lot of the, the transition and how you were able to keep that culture really is because that's what your foundation was already, right? You've already got these employees that are invested. They're interested. You know, you were talking about your sales team. Your sales team was the team that figured out, hey, how are we going to tackle this without coming across as sleazy? You know, it's it's the people that have already invested into WebPT and the culture of WebPT. And so 
then shifting to online and at home and virtual, they still have that, right? It's still innate. They still are there for the values and the culture. But then now we're at this tricky part of moving forward. You guys have a lot of job postings right now. And like you said, you're not coming back anytime soon. So they're all going to be virtual. So now are things changing as far as maybe your onboarding process now? Because you're not going to have that walkthrough of the headquarters and, hey, this is the meeting area. Here's who you go to for this. And here's who you walk past their office for this. You know, that that whole process is going to be different. So you've got, it's like, what, the, the pre-COVID people <laughs> and the post-COVID employees. You know, how do you, from this point, really fill those positions and how do you bring them into the culture when they're not there, when everyone's at home? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And actually we have started transitioning into having a, what we call our culture cruise, which is our new employee orientation. How do we do that for folks that are being hired across the country? How do we get Mm -hmm. that same um, effect to have them completely, uh, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will, like embracing <laughs> the culture as their own. Like this is what it means to be a WEPTier from the get-go. Um, here are the expectations that we have for you. And so we had already, thank goodness, uh, started to develop um, an online uh, culture cruise, which people are able to, to partake in as well as uh, but it also still had the component because you were going into an office. We we kind of blended that with the office experience. And so you're right. We we did have to quickly sort of add to that virtual experience because now everyone was being onboarded only through the uh, online culture cruise. And so we did have to um, improve that. And, and we still are continuing to do that. One of the, a lot of the discussion we're having right now as we, I guess, commit to this digital first experience or digital first uh, environment that we're going to, or, you know, this is how we're going to, this is what it means to be a part of WebPT moving forward is this digital first mentality. We're putting guardrails around making sure uh, that we, our culture is and our values are distributed um, within that sort of uh, new way of doing business. So we're being very mindful and uh, thoughtful about how we go about doing that. And it's something that you you said earlier that made me want to make sure that I put an emphasis on this is the intention that you have to have. Culture just doesn't happen. It, It doesn't just happen by osmosis. Like it has to be intentional with that, in my opinion, the orientation that that first experience that you have within an organization has to sort of set the standards and the uh, expectations from the get-go. A lot of it happens actually through the interview process. For us, it even happens, we think, in the job posting, like our job posting very much reflects who we are as a business and our values. And we want you to obviously be in alignment with that, that it's something attracted you to the job posting that you thought, wow, this is going to be a place for me. And then that is, you know, underscored so many times during the interview process that by the time you get hired, there should be an understanding. But now you get engulfed and you get entrenched in it for, for the full first few days to a week um, before you actually sit in the seat or get into the true day-to-day things that you're going to do. So there's so much of that 
early process that really um, allows us to to fully engage with you as an employee to set the expectations and then moving forward, continue to um, emphasize that with everything else. So it, it doesn't, it's not just words on a wall. It's not just, oh, this is rah, rah. This is, you know, our, our core values and this is our culture. No, it's it's basically everything that ha- happens in your day-to-day work that that you see that those values and that culture coming through. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to be built into your processes because, I mean, and you've already described several processes. You've described your uh, your job posting and and some of the the interviewing and then the onboarding. And so your values are all built into those processes. But of course, if it were to stop there, then you, I mean, like you said, the culture is intentional. And if it's not intentional, then you'll get what you don't intend, right? So the culture will be built. There's nothing you can do, right? There will be culture and it will be a reflection of the experiences that people are having. And that's why beyond just the, the processes that you've described, it would just make sense. I mean, we can, we can hear it. It wouldn't, you know, that it continues into, like you're saying, the day to day and every single process, or at least, you know, most of them are, you know, have those values, you know, built into them. And that's what allows the culture, you know, to, be as you intend. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conscious leadership comes in because even as we're building out new processes, as we build out our next five-year goals, our 2025 goals that we're looking at now, and it's it's having now around the table with your whole senior leadership team and our board, having a lens of that conscious capitalistic lens that we're all looking through, Right. I, I can't emphasize how important that is because if you if you don't have everyone on the same page, it does become very difficult uh, to um, move through times of crisis uh, when people have competing priorities. And so, it, it is critical, you know, to, to to have that alignment. So, as you mentioned, you know, the conscious leadership and making plans and five-year plans and moving forward. What does some of that look like for you guys? I mean, you guys have already grown so well. And even just, you've given us a couple of examples of some amazing developments just through the last year of all of this craziness where your team has figured out how, hey, we got to make change. And then it it's developed and it's happened. And now you've got, you know, virtual opportunities for PT. So as you guys are getting together and planning, what do, what do some of those next things look like? I mean, you can't well, give away all the secrets, but. No, yeah, there's a lot of consolidation that's happening within our industry. And so it's making sure we started in the SMB or small and medium-sized business segment of the market. That segment is, um, has, I don't know, it's, it's shrunk in terms of the overall percentage because of consolidation. So you have these larger enterprise groups that have come in and um, are buying, they have private equity money and they're able to consolidate and bring, you know, small practices within their, their own larger entity. And so we have to, uh, we have been over the last three years um, improving our products to make sure that we can serve all spectrums of the market. Um, we have doubled down on committing to the rehab therapy space. So um, PT, OT, and speech. So we are not having, we, we have the opportunity to grow significantly, adding products and 
expanding our platform within this uh, niche market, which I, I think is awesome. And for us, it's, it's continuing down a path from a, from, again, it's the, it's the stakeholder model of understanding what our businesses need. We are a uh, mission critical application. And so what else do you, you know, our question to them is what else do you need from us mm-hmm. to run your business better? And so constantly continuing to listen to make sure we're meeting the needs of our customers is at the end of the day, how, how we know we will continue to, to, to grow, whether that's building new products or acquiring products that are already established um, and bringing that into uh, under the WebPT umbrella and fully integrating them into our, our platform to, to improve efficiencies of, for our businesses. And then the other other side of it is just continuing to be a thought leader as far as um, now with our data um, and the, 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 you know, 40% of the market share, uh, having an understanding of what sort of drives the, our businesses to now also have a voice when it comes to advocacy um, and leadership within the industry to help those businesses, right, that may not have a voice or the strength in, in, in numbers, we now have the opportunity to be a voice for, for the industry and for some change. And whether it's in through advocacy in Washington or, you know, other state means, um, you know, we, we, we want to be uh, an, an, an advocate for, for our customers. Again, going towards our mission, always in alignment with our empowering therapists to achieve greatness in practice. So do you have an example? I mean, you know, the uh, something that's come up in the data where you can bring a voice, you know, to make some positive change for the people that you serve? Well, this past year was a great example. Um, in At the end of 2020, Congress had decided, a, you know, a year or two ago that Medicare was going to, in order to improve payment to certain practitioners like primary care physicians, they were going to have to cut reimbursement for other clinicians uh, because Medicare is a budget neutral entity. And so in order to rob, you have to, to rob Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> um, and so we were in the list of clinicians that were going to incur a, a 9% cut to our reimbursements. So yeah, as you can imagine, after a year that we've all had to, to now take another hit to your bottom, to, to your top line, and of course your bottom line, I mean, it was going to wreak havoc through the industry. And so we joined in amongst, you know, many people on an advocacy front. But um, what we had that many others didn't was to show the data, the repercussions of our practices over this period of time. And so whether it was showing them patient volumes that had declined and had true data that people could use. And so we created, you know, uh, one pagers and, you know, full decks of, of showing the, the, the uh, repercussion to the industry based on COVID changes that they could then take to their Congress people or to their, you know, state boards or whoever was going to be looking and advocating, we, we provided it to the American Physical Therapy Association and others to help amplify the message to to make those cuts 
either go away or push them off a couple of years. Um, and what ended up having happening was Congress um, did take action. Um, they uh, punted many of the cuts uh, to forward, but also decreased the cuts for this year. It was only it now there's only a three uh, percent cut. So it wasn't completely, you know, didn't completely go away, but it was significantly better um, than what was anticipated and basically was supposed to drop right on uh, January 1 of this year. Wow. Wow. I feel like I should say thank <laughs> I you, know, you right? know, on behalf of all those people. <laughs> right. Did you foresee way back when there were the three people in the coffee shop, did you foresee any of this that you would end up being able to be the voice for people, show the data, prove what's going on, and help legit make these changes happen. Could you foresee any of that way back then? Well, not really. But again, intentionality, we yeah. we knew data was going to come into play at some point in time. And mm-hmm. I have to give credit to my co-founder who had worked on enterprise web-based platforms. And that was really the differentiator for us is we were the first web-based application in the industry where we had opportunities to, um, to, to hold the data. And with, in, in the medical field or in healthcare, there's a lot of, you have to anonymize it and things like that. But being the only, the, the first web-based, we've, we've had the opportunity to have this stockpile of data where if, in server-based systems, like everyone has their own data and being able to then aggregate all of that together is almost virtually impossible. And so we did that intentionally knowing that someday, you know, if we do get bigger, this was going to be powerful. Yeah. And so here we are today, 12 years later, and it's making a difference, right? We still have a lot of work to do in terms of being able to use that data more for the power of good and having convincing people that they should trust us to be able to do that as well. But it, no, I, I didn't think that, we would have this platform, but, but I will say as time has gone on, you know, I have really embraced the, the platform that we have to, to make change. I'll, I'll just, I'll just put another plug in real quick of some of the amazing, uh, our, our customers who, you know, stepped up through this difficult year of not only COVID, but all of the civil unrest and, you know, inequities that have come up, especially in the healthcare area. You know, I helped lead, um, our, internally at WebPT, our diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives that, again, we, we had in place. We just accelerated a lot of things. Um, and uh, our, our customers, a lot of our clinical leaders were reaching out for information as well. And so having this amazing group of people that are now going to help move the needle on this in our industry and having the platform to do that, you know, I don't know. It's it's one of those amazing pinch yourself moments of like how you always, I like to measure your success based on impact um, and the impact that we are, we've had with disrupting um, how the industry goes about documenting and doing business and now having another level of ability to make a change in our industry potentially on improving the diversity of, of the clinicians and uh, how people are getting treated is just a a remarkable thing. We know that there's, 
close to 90% of patients who have a diagnosis that could benefit from a PT that are not getting in to see us. Um, There are many reasons for that, uh, but one of them is that there's just not enough therapists in areas of need, just like physicians. It's just not unique to PT. It's, you know, healthcare in general. And so that's one of the underlying sort of long-term goals that we have as well is to really move the needle on getting more patients into see a PT, which of course trickles down into helping our clinics, right? See more patients, which helps them to be more successful, which in turn helps us to be more successful. There's more people that need us. Like it's the rising tide effect, right? And I'm just so proud of the fact that, you know, we have the space and we've been given the space. Oh, it's storming here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The space to be able to, to push more, um, social impact opportunities on top of our uh, profitable business. Yeah. Well, well, I think the storm was capitalism is all about, right? Yeah, yeah I profit was, for a for as a force for good. <laughs> and the storm was right on time. It, it was, was the absolute perfect <laughs> point of emphasis uh, right. because you know the energy and the you know the electricity and you know. From everything you were just talking about, I hope we can, we're getting, we're pretty close on time already, but I think we should plan uh, another podcast where we can talk specifically about everything that you're doing for diversity and equity, because I know that Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's really important to a lot of people, um, you know, and it needs to be important to a lot more people. So uh, I agree. And I, I'll just say that I, I think it is important to a lot of people. A lot of people just don't know where to start. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's uncomfortable conversations sometimes. And so I would love to be able to do that with you. It's um, I've learned a lot over this last year and it's definitely, I'm, it's something I'm committed to, uh, to, to helping moving forward. Well, and it can be more comfortable to say, okay, let's look at the data first, right? Mm -hmm. Let's look at this within the context of the data. And then I love, I'm a data person too. I love data, but without the context and looking at how, what, how that actually translates into people and lives and health and outcomes, it's like, who cares? So, but starting with the data can make it more comfortable. So we'll, we'll figure out. Yeah. We'll make this happen. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So Kendra last comments or things to kind of help wrap us up? Yeah. So I think that was, that was perfect. Like, like Sarah said, the the thunderstorm agrees. We are so excited that we had the chance to have you on, talk through some of this, especially this last year that's been craziness. There's so much that's happened and so much change and improvement that you've been able to do to focus on your members, to focus on your, your staff and the culture still. You guys are doing uh, amazing things. We're appreciative as far as Conscious Capitalism to have you on our board. We love the support that you give us. So we're always there for you and you need us as well. So thank you for coming on the show with us today. Before we go, Heidi, is there any last things you want to say? Or if anyone needs to get in touch or reach out with you, how would you like them to do that? Yes. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you, Kendra. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. Um, always great to, to chat with you guys and, and to have this conversation about conscious capitalism. Um, I will say, you know, if 
anyone out there is listening who is just kind of like on the fence of, I don't know how to get, how to, how to learn more. And just the check out our website, um, get involved, um, go to a meeting, like just that, that's how, you know, what I, I mentioned earlier about how I got involved and there's just so many like-minded people, um, that are willing to help. Even if it's just a little small piece that you're, you're not quite getting, don't, don't hesitate, I guess, to, to take the time to, to check out the website and, and jump on or jump into a meeting. Um, now that everything's kind of virtual, it makes it easier for people to, I feel like, uh, get involved. So I know that we have another, uh, podcast or I'm doing a conscious business journey presentation. Yeah. On so I, I was going to say, what a great opportunity for somebody yeah. to jump in and get involved. You will be one <laughs> of our speakers in March. So yeah. if anyone has any questions, they can go to the website, ccarizona.org and look up the events and you are the speaker in March, which we're excited about. Yes. I'm very excited. Thank you guys so much for everything that you do um, in helping promote conscious capitalism. Great. Thank you. And you heard it. Heidi said, no excuses. It's virtual. Make sure to, you know, join us soon. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to People in Profit, where we showcase the businesses that are elevating humanity through their work right here in Arizona. Learn more about us at ccarizona.org.